Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Well, thank you very much and welcome into AOA. Jesse Allen in for Mike Adams here today on the show as Mike is on assignment and I appreciate Mike uh, letting me sit in once again here on AOA and thank you for making us part of your day today. Have a a jam-packed lineup here on the show, including going to be talking about WOTUS with Scott Yeager from the NCBA later on in the program. I know that's a hot-button issue that a lot of folks are concerned about what the Biden administration could do in regards to WOTUS, so we'll be talking to Scott Yeager coming up about that and get the latest info from him from Washington, D.C., we're also going to talk weather with Eric Snodgrass of Nutrien. I always enjoy talking with Eric, and he always has a great analysis on the current weather conditions. We'll be talking to Eric coming up in just a little bit and get his latest weather analysis. Also speaking about analysis and markets, pleased to have Mike Zuzalo with Global Commodity Analytics joining me here today on AOA to go over the uh, latest in the market trade. We saw some interesting uh, export sales numbers here this morning on the weekly front, and we also saw some daily export news, a lot of geopolitical factors and money issues we're going to be talking about in the market as well. That's all coming up with Mike Zuzalo here as well. Kicking things off today here on the show, we have David Widmar with Agricultural Economic Insights, AEI.ag. We're talking China. We're talking trade with the U.S. We're talking the end of the phase one trade deal coming up and much more. And David, let's kick off our conversation uh, and just talk about China and uh, where things stand right now in regards to trade with the U.S. In fact, for context, uh a similar pace in history would have been back in 2017, pre-trade war, and that was about $10 billion worth of purchases through that. So we're kind of 50% faster than what we would have seen pre-trade war. Um, not a record when we go back to the, the go-go years, uh, but another way of looking at this is we had about $13 billion worth of trade in 2019 and about twenty, uh, about $16 billion in trade for the entire year during the trade war. So this six months of activity is just a huge uh, boost of adrenaline to the farm economy. And it's really a, a, a good sign of demand. And so when we have strong demand, we have strong quantities and strong prices. And this has been a huge part of that story. Well, you know, I look at China and we and we look at this phase one deal, and I know that as we get towards the end of the calendar year here, that's going to be up. And I know there's a lot of talk uh, on the trade front of where we go from there. Um, and, and, you know, looking at the situation with China, they keep buying soybeans from the U.S., uh, they keep buying pork, you know, a lot of those things. Talk about this phase one deal and and just your thoughts on on where we could go here once we get to the end of the calendar year, David. Well, the end of phase one was always a giant uncertainty. <clears throat> and it was a giant uncertainty with the previous administration. It was kind of a bridge to nowhere. We we're going to renegotiate another phase of this. And then there was sort of uh, the uncertainty of the new administration. You know, there were actually, I think, more than 50 items that they were working on in the phase one trade agreement. One of the sub points that was really relevant is those ag purchases. And so, it's unclear if they're going to meet those targets. Those were a unique measure um, because it was impacted by, you know, they took some products in, took some products out. So that was a unique measure that they created. But they made a lot of progress with some of those other issues. And so I think the current administration has got to weigh out, you know, okay, here are the here's the laundry list, and here's the ones that we met, and here's the ones we didn't meet. But I think we have a big uncertainty here as we move forward. You know, I've heard a lot of chatter about rumors as to why China's bought so much in the last 18 months. And they've kind of been all over the board. But the big important story here is China's been back. They've been buying. This is a return of this important you know, demand structure for U.S. ag exports. And we just have to keep an eye on the conversation as we get towards the end of the calendar year. And we'll see where this resolves itself into 2022. David, talk about data and data flow uh, coming out of China. And I know you're you're pretty passionate about this topic. Um, obviously, we always hear a lot of folks talking about how they don't know, you know, what the data is like coming out of China. Is it completely accurate? Is it not? Talk about that in regards to the trade situation. 
Well, you know, one of the quickest uh, things that you might hear someone say, presenters say, oh, the data coming out of China are junk. And then they never do the work of looking at the data. It's sort of an excuse to not actually open up Excel and make a chart. And I think that's fine. That's a fair criticism. But we have to step back and say, okay, each data point has a different level of confidence around it. And then the next point is, is you still have to know what the data are before you jump to the conclusions. You can't throw the data away without ever looking at it. So we've done this in a series of articles on our website and on our premium side of the site as well. And I think there's a really couple important data points. First off, China's surge in purchases that we've talked about has primarily came from non-soybean purchases. So soybeans typically account for 50% of trade with China on a dollar basis. You know, it's corn that's really driving this huge uptick. So let's look at corn. Why is China buying more corn? And their purchases are historically significant. They've bought in the past, but never to this degree. And when you start to look into the data, you see that China's production of corn has flatlined over the last four or five years. This isn't a one-year event. It's for four to five years it's been showing up in the data. And again, if you dig a little deeper, they have not expanded corn acreage in the last three or four years. And so we've had decades of trends of China planting more and more corn each year, and then it's flatlined and the consumption continues to go up. China hasn't increased production. And so it starts to feel like maybe there's a demand shock, but we have to think about the data. What data are more accurate? What data are less accurate? And then we have to at least know what the data are saying. Well, real briefly here to kind of wrap our, our discussion on China and looking ahead here in the next couple of months, you know, like I saw today, we saw another export sale to China. So we keep seeing these uh, stories trickle in of export sales. We keep seeing the demand there. Uh, but obviously, we're looking at a, a tighter crop here in the U.S. and a tighter crop globally. What are your thoughts moving forward? What are you what are you anticipating we could see as far as trade with China moving forward? And I know we haven't touched really on pork yet either. Well, First off, let's talk about corn and soybeans specifically. And we're going into that period of year where we expect China to make a lot of purchases. Now, mm -hmm. we have to keep in mind, are we going to be on par for last 2020 activity or is it going to be slightly reduced? Because USD already says exports probably going to be down a little bit. So we have to think about that. Second of all, remember the seasonality of China's activity. China buys a whole lot of soybeans in the last three months of the year. So this is really going into the, the most important time of the year for soybeans. Um, China right now is on pace. If we take the first six months of data and look at those seasonal patterns, they're probably on pace for $33, $34 billion in total trade with the U.S. That would blow the previous record of $29 billion, you know, out of the water. So we could be on pace for a big situation. Finally, my last point is keep demand shocks and supply shocks apart in your thinking. Pork has been at the forefront. China's been buying a lot of pork really out of this African swine fever situation they're un unpacking and recovering from. And that's a supply shock. That's very different than soybeans. Definitely. Well, David, uh, we could keep going on, but we're out of time here uh, for this segment. I appreciate you joining us. And I know folks can find more AEI.ag. David Widmar with Agriculture Economic Insights. Thanks for the time today. Appreciate it. Eric Snodgrass with Nutrien. We're talking weather coming up next. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Heading to the Farm Progress Show in Decatur, Illinois this year? Be sure to stop by the Syngenta booth to talk with local agronomists and product experts. Then visit the Syngenta Square to relax and enjoy a cold beverage. During the show, Mike Adams of Adams on Agriculture will be broadcasting live all three days from Syngenta booth 441. Stop by to watch the show live at 9 a.m. That's booth 441 at 9 a.m. We look forward to seeing you in Decatur at the Farm Progress Show. Choose the proven performance of the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, featuring high-yielding Extend Flex soybeans and the exceptional weed control of Extend to Max herbicide with vapor grip technology. Elite genetics, triple herbicide tolerance, flexibility that delivers results, backed by 25 years of innovation. That's the Roundup Ready Extend crop system. The system 
of choice. Extendamax is a restricted-use pesticide. Always follow stewardship practices, all pesticide label directions, and check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. Anyone can sell you soybean seed. Channel Seedsman place products to perform. With Channel ExtendFlex soybeans and Channel Roundup Ready to Extend soybeans, you'll get the excellent weed control you want and the high-yield potential you need. Make the most of the next season with the Roundup Ready Extend crop system and expert recommendations from Channel Seedsman. Ask a seedsman in your area for recommendations for your fields. Check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. Always read and follow grain marketing and all their stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from throughout the cooperative system, from global market access to local expertise. We'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... (laughs) Hey, listen, it's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. And we're back here on AOA. Jesse Allen in for Mike Adams. We're talking weather now. Pleased to have join us Eric Snodgrass with Nutrien. Eric, thanks for being on AOA today. How are you? You know, doing all right. Uh, I've got, I'm, I'm kind of mad though. I, I coached third and fourth grade soccer and we've only had two games. We've had, uh, what, three of them rained out now. So, you know, to be honest, I know there's some folks that are desperate for rainfall, but I'm sick of it. Could they keep these thunderstorms away so I can get in a soccer game here? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, let's talk those thunderstorms. That's a good spot to start, I think, Eric. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's uh, not good for the soccer games, but it is good for folks uh, needing a late shot of rain. And, you know, we look across the Corn Belt, and it's been that story all year long, the haves and the have-nots, right? Uh, the Eastern Belt very wet, the Western Belt dry, and now – it almost feels like that pattern has slightly shifted here uh, at kind of like the very last possible moment, at least, to maybe help the soybean crop and maybe a little fill on corn. But we're seeing a lot of storm activity across the western belt and the northern plains right now. Yeah, you know, the drier pockets are in Indiana and places east and where it's been wet as of late. And, and not just wet, but they've had a lot of nasty storms that have put down some very strong straight line winds. I'm thinking about like eastern Iowa, southern Wisconsin and throughout Illinois the last few days here. But, you know, to finally dial up some rain for parts of Minnesota and the Dakotas coming out of Montana and even Nebraska. I mean, these are areas that we saw throughout June and July that couldn't couldn't buy a drop of rain. And so, it's one of those things where, you know, you wish we would have seen this earlier in the season to really push the yields in that area. But when rain does come in at this time of year, it certainly does help. And you're right, it's going to help out on those beans too. But what I don't like is the fact that as we press through the beginning of this week, some of those storms are going to come through there. And like we've seen, they're going to line out. They're going to be producing some strong straight line winds. And if your crop is compromised already, you know, due to the lack of all that, you know, good growing conditions early in the season, you put some strong winds on it. We're going to worry about stand quality of some of this. So I don't like to say that, that, but we, we do see here that the Storm Prediction Center, along with our best guidance, suggests that there's an enhanced risk of those storms producing some strong straight line winds over the next few days in that, uh, in that critical area that's been dry. 
Well, and uh, talk about some of those storms we've seen so far. I've seen some pictures on Twitter and heard some rumblings of a little bit of crop damage in those areas you mentioned, eastern Iowa, northeast Iowa, southwest Wisconsin, even a little bit into Illinois. What have you heard as far as any damage from storms so far? What I've heard is it's been pr- pretty local. In other words, unlike a year ago where the derecho wiped out what, almost 9 million acres. This isn't that kind of scenario, at least not as of yet. You know, and what we've seen here has been a lot of just uh, local damage. You got a few acres that get knocked down. And and the uh, question is, are we too late in the season to see them turn back up and be okay? Or can we harvest as it, you know, lays? Our harvest equipment is pretty amazing. It can grab that stuff as it lays down and, and finishes off close to the ground. Uh, but added up this morning, we're at about over 500 reports of severe winds uh, over the last about seven, eight days uh, across the Midwest alone. And as a consequence of that, we're going to get some local damage reports and some yield loss from some of these storms. Well, obviously, we're watching these storms, watching some heavy rains uh, in the forecast as well. And, you know, at the end of the day, might be a little late to help the crops, but it is going to help some of those droughty areas. And that would be very, very welcome, wouldn't it, Eric? Yeah, it will. And, and I think what's maybe more important about that is just look at the long game on this. If we start to revive that moisture here at the end of this growing season, and then hopefully it'll be a little drier to get that crop out. We can talk about that in a minute. But what I think about is what are we doing now? and throughout fall, winter, and spring to recharge that soil with soil moisture, get the values back up there. Because if they don't start coming back up, then we just run the risk of perpetuating the longer term drought, especially in the Western Corn Belt into another year. So that should be at the front of everybody's mind here is what does the next six months look like in terms of building that soil moisture profile back up? Well, you mentioned harvest. Let's talk about that. And I know, uh, you know, we're maybe looking at some possible challenges uh, coming up already with some of the early harvest in parts of the South. And, you know, we could probably tie that in with some of the different tropical systems that are out there and whatnot. But uh, just for starters, what are you hearing as far as some early harvest or as we near harvest in some areas uh, about any issues or, or any good conditions out there? We can kind of split this up three ways. The first thing I'll mention it like you did was what's going on in the tropics. So we are watching a system uh, that's possibly coming out of the Caribbean late this week and early over the weekend. It might go right between Cuba and the Yucatan Peninsula, which means it's going to get into the Gulf, head straight toward uh, Louisiana. Now, Louisiana got hit five times last year. So now we're bringing in another system. And I imagine a lot of them have front of mind the damage from Hurricane Laura a year ago. This thing could be quite strong. We don't yet know how strong it's going to be. The system has yet to form. We're using all this model guidance to kind of give us a clue. The thing is, it turns right through the lower Mississippi River Valley, which means we're going to talk about Arkansas, Mississippi, then eventually parts of Tennessee and curling right through middle Tennessee, where we saw the just terrific flooding a week ago. Now that's going to turn that way, head over to the Appalachian Mountains. So what that means is that area trying to get a crop out it's going to just get hammered with heavy, heavy rainfall here in the near term. So that's the first part of it. The second part of this, as we look through September, I don't know what's going to shut down the recycling of moisture in the open Gulf, which means I think September is going to be a stormy month. Plus we have that wild card of more tropical systems. But if there's a silver lining, this would be the third thing. Longer term forecast for October, there's better evidence uh, uh, of bringing in uh, some drier weather. And that's mainly due to the fact that the ocean temperatures are cooling a bit in the Pacific. We call that La Nina. So we're going to watch that carefully. What I am concerned about, and I don't think it's necessarily going to be a problem of the crop being uh, not have fully matured in the northern part of the United States because they got blasted with heat this year. There are some early grumblings uh, among us meteorologists as we're watching these patterns evolve that you know, we talk about this every year, right? But I'm not going to rule out the issues of possibly having some early frost concerns pretty far to the north at this point. But I'm going to remind everybody of something here, okay? Predicting a frost more than about seven days out is nearly impossible because here's the difference. I can tell you it's going to get cold, but if it gets to 34 versus 32, that's a world of difference, right? So we'll have to wait to see how that all shakes down in the near term here. You mentioned La Nina, and I know that's something that's been rumbling uh, throughout the uh, the weather community here with other meteorologists for mm-hmm. uh, a couple of months now. Uh, talk about your thoughts on La Nina, if that is indeed setting up here around the globe, and, and maybe some of the impacts we could be looking at heading into the fall. Yeah, I jokingly told a group yesterday, I said La Niñas are kind of like repeat offenders. <laughs> in other words, when they come in one winter, more often than not, we get a quick resurgence of them the next winter, but oftentimes the second offense is a little bit less. So last year's La Nina, you know, in December and January, it did peak out with cooler temperatures in the Pacific that got down to about minus two Celsius. That's actually a, we call that a moderate strength La Nina. Best forecast guidance right now keeps it about a half degree to three quarters of a degree below average. Now, 
what does that mean? That means that the weaker the La Nina, the less we could use it as a as a as, a, as, a, as an excellent indicator of what our fall and winter patterns are going to be. But if La Nina shows back up, it tends to mean uh, drier conditions during harvest. I said drier, not dry, but drier conditions in harvest for the Midwest. Uh, and then we tend to get good winter precip and we tend to get good winter cold temperatures, which those things are outstanding. We want to dial that up. That helps us get ready for the upcoming growing season. But at this point, I've got to see those trade winds kick back up and get going strong. More upwelling of cold water before we make the call on this La Nina being one of the more dominant climate drivers moving us through fall and winter. Eric, I want to touch on South America as we sure. kind of piggyback off La Nina as well. We know we have a tight crop globally. We're looking at a possibly a tight supply here in the U.S. And we we know we had issues uh, with the last crop in South America they're going to be getting ready for planting here as we get into September, October, beyond. Talk about the weather situation in South America and what you're seeing shape up there. Yeah, and, and that weather situation is kind of married to what you know you've been talking a lot about lately, which is the fact that where the prices currently sit, those folks, the moment that that planting date is opened at September 15th, they're going to be waiting in planters to get that crop going. Some early estimates would suggest that there might be an additional 4 million acres uh, planted this year. That's a lot. That's about a quarter of an Illinois corn crop, or excuse me, soybean crop additional. Now, the weather impacts of this, whenever you say La Nina to a South American grower, their ears perk up about the risk for drought. So just like last year, and last year we saw a delay in the onset of the monsoons, which really drove our markets through through much of fall. Now, is there a chance that that could be a repeat this year? There, there definitely is. But at this point, some of the best guidance would suggest the drier conditions stay south and the wetter conditions stay north. And remember, it's the north that's planted first. So at this point, I look at all of this and I know how quickly those folks are going to want to get in the ground down there. What is going to have to happen is about, well, about three weeks from now, we're just going to have to watch it week by week to see if anything pushes the delay of that crop getting getting started because it pushes not only the first crop of beans, but it pushes that second crop of corn. And our markets tend to cover what, what the differences are there in terms of timing. So if you, if you pin me down and said, Eric, what are you thinking right now? I am not thinking that we're going to see a repeat of last year in terms of the delay. That doesn't mean we won't have issues of drought conditions across both Argentina and, and Brazil later but at this point i'm not predicting the same level of delay we had a year ago and i know that is that's a bit of bearish weather news uh and boy can i be wrong i can always be wrong of course but i, I look at it going i'm not seeing the same setup i'm just not seeing the same sequence of events to push things back with that eric snodgrass from nutrient thanks for joining us today we'll talk again soon yeah sounds good that's eric snodgrass mike zuzalo up next on aoa Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Choose the proven performance of the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, featuring high-yielding Extend Flex soybeans and the exceptional weed control of Extend-to-Max herbicide with vapor grip technology. Elite genetics, triple herbicide tolerance, flexibility that delivers results, backed by 25 years of innovation. That's the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, the system of choice. Extend-to-Max is a restricted-use pesticide. Always follow stewardship practices, all pesticide label directions, and check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. Any Anyone could sell you soybean seed. Channel Seedsman placed products to perform. With Channel Extend Flex Soybeans and Channel Roundup Ready to Extend Soybeans, you'll get the excellent weed control you want and the high yield potential you need. Make the most of the next season with the Roundup Ready Extend crop system and expert recommendations from Channel Seedsman. Ask a seedsman in your area for recommendations for your fields. Check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. Always read and follow grain marketing and all their stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. You're listening to AOA. I'm Kirsten Rawl. This morning, the choppy trend continues with corn and beans trading in a mixed fashion and wheat bouncing higher. U.S. ethanol production is lagging demand. Production during the week ending August 20th averaged 933,000 barrels per day. This is the seventh consecutive week of declining ethanol production. Current ethanol production is at about the same level as 2020 pandemic levels and about 11.5 percent less than 2019 levels prior to the pandemic. On the 
the Board of Trade this morning, September corn trading a half a cent lower at 5.50 and three quarters. The December contract down a penny and a fraction at 5.50 and a half cent. For soybeans, the September contract up four and a half cent at 13.50 and a half cent. The November contract down nine and a fraction at 13.23 and a half cent. For wheat, Chicago wheat September trading nine cents higher at 7.20 and a fraction. Kansas City wheat September up eight and a fraction at 7.10 and a fraction. Minneapolis spring wheat September up two cents at 9.27 and a half a cent. The December contract up a penny and three quarters at 9.09 and three quarters. The Labor Day demand usually seen in meat cuts seems to be slowing down now that most of the demand has been met. Choice cuts declined 69 percent with select cuts down $1.21. This put pressure on cattle futures on Wednesday in cash cattle country asking prices are around $125 plus in the south and $250 plus in the north. Looking at those live cattle futures on the Board of Trade this morning, the October contract trading 20 cents lower at 130.10. The December contract down 15 at 136.12. For feeder cattle, the September contract up 25 cents at 165.40. October down 20 at 169.07. In lean hogs, the October contract trading 15 cents higher at 88.90. The December contract up 2 cents at 81.97. You're listening to AOA. I'm Kirsten Rawl. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. Jesse Allen in for Mike Adams as we continue here on AOA today. We're talking markets. Pleased to have on with us Mike Zuzalo, Global Commodity Analytics down in Kansas. Mike, uh, great to have you on AOA today with me, sir. Pleasure to be with you, Jesse. Thanks for having me. Mike, let's uh, let's dive right in. Look at uh, weekly export sales out here today. And uh, for the most part, seemed like a fairly bullish uh, weekly export sales report for quarter beans and, and kind of neutral for wheat. And we also got some uh, news on the Daily Wire, some corn sales to Colombia, beans to China and unknown. So talk about uh, what you saw with the weekly export sales and the Daily Wire and how that's impacting things right now. Yeah, most notable feature to the export sales is that wheat came in below the lowest trade guess, Jesse, from the trade estimates on Reuters, but we still have wheat as the leader to the upside in terms of the price action today. So you're right. We have the row crops finding some demand strength here uh, from the export flash sales, especially. Um, I'd also say that you've got a situation where these demand uh, issues that you're finding with some strength underlying us is also being met with a lot of row crop supply, maybe negativity because of the rains coming. We see that especially in the soybean market where it seems to be once again, the leader to the downside on the daily price action. Now look at wheat. Uh, you mentioned that we're seeing some upside there today, but not really stemming from these uh, weekly export sales reports. Talk about what you're seeing as maybe a cause to the bounce in wheat here today. Yeah, real good question, because the wheat is, to me, the leader in this whole thing, especially as we close out this week and this month, because we need the wheat to take us higher from a standpoint of the funds and from a standpoint of the investors, especially given that the Federal Reserve's getting ready to open up their Jackson Hole meeting and talk about monetary policy. And that means the dollar and the dollar, I think, is going to be pretty volatile here the next three, four trading days. So wheat supply side, I think, is what's helped us a lot today. 
Uh, we saw Stats Canada come in with their wheat projection below USDA's last report. Just a few minutes ago before we went on air, we also saw the International's Grain Council come in and cut their wheat supply. They came in at, uh, I think it was around, they had been at 788 metric tons. Um, they came in at 782. That compares to USDA 777. So the trend is your friend because they're cutting, um, but they're not down to where USDA is at. So these two things, along with the tame dollar, I think has given the European market some strength, and that's given the U.S. market some strength as well. Now, Mike, uh, you mentioned that Jackson Hole meeting, and I know that the trade's going to be really focused on that here the next uh, couple of days. And I know, you know, specifically, uh, a lot of folks are waiting to see what Fed Chair Powell says Friday morning. Uh, what are your thoughts on just some of the tone you're hearing, maybe some rumblings around that Jackson Hole meeting here and how that could affect the broader commodity sector? I've been under the impression, Jesse, that this inflationary pressure that we're facing is probably going to be met by the Federal Reserve with some ideas of tapering of their agency debt or some of their backing off of their extra money supply, not changing the interest rate, but the extra money supply. And I think that's where we're headed. In fact, the uh, St. Louis Fed chairman or Fed president came out this morning and talked about that specifically, about maybe pulling back the reins, especially given a hot housing market right now, maybe doing that mortgage-backed security debt, pulling back on that, but not changing interest rates and kind of doing it staggered. So that's what I'm really watching for. And the key there really goes back to when it comes to the ag commodities for me is that weekly high from the US, uh, US dollar last week. That index hit a 93.73 high. That's the number I'm going to be watching Friday afternoon. Well, Mike, we know we have geopolitical issues out there as well. A lot of uh, issues uh, in the Middle East and Afghanistan right now. And uh, talk about uh, some of what's going on geopolitically, how that's affecting our markets as well, especially that crude oil market, because that's something that uh, sometimes I think maybe we lose sight of uh, in the trade, just how much crude oil can affect our ag commodities. Yeah, I'm really glad you brought that up because you can see the soybean oil is kind of the leader to the downside, helping to pr pressure the soybeans along with that uh, rain forecast that we're looking at this weekend. I think that's really where it lies, Jesse, because that was one of the things that helped us earlier this week was the crude oil market rallying canola, soybean oil, lifting the whole complex. What I think geopolitically here is what do we want to watch for is we've seen gold slip today. We've seen the crude oil slip today and the dollar get up a, a little bit higher on the day. Does the geopolitical issues and specifically this reported explosion now in Kabul at the airport and maybe even two explosions now breaking, does this unwind that trade? Does the market go back into a safe haven mindset of buying gold and maybe buying the crude oil? And then that puts the pressure on the dollar. And that's really, I think, the important part of the market as we close out this session. Mike, uh, looking specifically here, let's switch gears and talk to corn market. Uh, fairly muted on Thursday. And we've kind of been range bound. We've kind of been hovered around this 550 mark here for quite some time as we've kind of consolidated trading ranges. And I know you and I talked Wednesday on the uh, Market Talk podcast, and you had a great uh, kind of a great synopsis and, and great argument for December corn puts. Talk to us a little bit about that, Mike. Well, I think the resolve of the yield and supply bowl, those that don't believe the yield is where USDA is at or where the pro farmer tour is at, or maybe on the low end of the pro farmer tour, that's pretty much where I'm at at this point. I think this is where the resolve has been shaken because of some of the uh, issues with this rain coming in. More for beans, less for corn, but be that as it may, Eastern Corn Belt, east of the Mississippi River, we can still probably put on some test weight. So I'm not really wanting to let go of any cash sales at this point, especially given new crop basis being wider versus an old crop basis that in some areas is a buck 50 at ethanol plants along the Indiana, Ohio border and in other places as well, Jesse. So my mindset is get a floor underneath you with a bought put, especially given we've got a lower volatility now in these DEES corn options. And so that's something to talk about, something I'm talking to clients and subscribers about. If we break technical support on the monthly trend lines that I'm looking at, then I'll look at getting a floor underneath me as opposed to going after cash sales. Why? Because the indexes that I track would say there may be another three to 10% down in this market just from funds and investors unwinding. 
What about the soybean side? Is there any room for maybe some puts there, putting a floor underneath you as we look uh, towards the harvest here and maybe adding uh, to our crop with some of these beneficial rains in some areas? I mean, what what are your thoughts on on the direction of the soybean market? Yeah, and it's interesting you bring that up because I was just looking before we went on air, who's the winner and loser month to date since the end of July? And everybody's up. Corn, hard red wheat, soft red wheat, all of them up. Beans are down 4% right now, so we're already trading a negative tone in the soybeans. So there's less risk premium, less weather premium in this market than maybe we perceive. So I think the puts are still a good idea in the beans as well, because if we only have a 49 bushel yield, unless USDA cuts a lot of demand out of this picture, we're going to be closer to 100 million bushel carryover this coming year versus a 200. So again, lighten up on the cash sale mindset, maybe get floors underneath you with the idea that we have a, a, a trend line support violation. Mike, we haven't touched on livestock yet. I think we should touch there briefly as well this, uh, on, on the show today. Uh, looking at cattle, you know, maybe starting to see some of that Labor Day demand be met and seeing maybe some of that wane a little bit here. Um, talk about this cattle market, just your thoughts, what you're hearing. We're hearing some thoughts of maybe you know feeders are getting a little current out there in cash country. Uh, just your thoughts overall on the cattle market right now. Yeah, real good question there, because I think the cattle on feed really showed how current we were. So the funds and the traders got to see that and they got to trade it earlier this week. So I'd say that's probably baked into the cake at this point. Uh, beef export sales, not very good, down 33% versus the four-week average. So between what we're talking about with the end of the summer grilling season and the export pace we saw today, I think the gap in October fat cattle of 129.18 area, that's probably a gap that may be filled here before we close out the week. And then we'll have to watch for some moving average support levels as well. Cause I'm, I'm a little bit more nervous that the funds are gonna unwind long positions. So it becomes more maybe of a technical market at this point, Jesse, for the next, next couple of weeks or so. What about the hog market here real quick? We're starting to see a little bit of uh, upside momentum here as we get towards the end of this week, uh, but still maybe some cautious undertones in that hog market from what I'm hearing. What are your, what are your thoughts on the hog market? Yeah, cash index is telling us that the futures needs it to go higher because we're at 106 on the CME index. We're at 89 area in the October hog futures. We've got a cutout price of 110. That's up almost 55% year over year. This says to me, maybe we have the October does go higher and meet up with the cash, especially given export sales this morning came in down about 14% from the four-week average. But China was the number five buyer. That meant a lot to me. Well, Mike, uh, any other final thoughts you have for us on the market trade? Anything you want to reiterate for us today? I think the big picture issue with the macro fundamentals still in control of this market, Jesse, until we get the rains. Uh, if we don't get the rains, then the supply demand fundamentals can pick up a little bit uh, more on the radar screen and, and be more of a front burner issue. And other than that, thanks for having me. Well, I appreciate it. And we should mention as well, uh, I know you have a lot of great research uh, on your website. Uh, where can we find you online? Yeah, go to globalcomresearch.com. It's globalcom with two M's, research.com. Sign up for a free trial. I'll be happy to talk to you. If you need a specific question answer, just give me your phone number and or give me a call at 866-471-2588. Mike, I appreciate you joining me here today on AOA. Thanks so much for the time, sir, and we'll talk again soon. Great to be with you, Jesse. Have a great day, sir. Mike Zuzalo with Global Commodity Analytics, our guest today here on AOA, talking about the market trade and much more, and we appreciate his time here with us today. Coming up, we're going to talk WOTUS. That's a hot-button issue, as uh, that may be reopened here, that discussion about WOTUS here. Uh, a lot of things to talk about there. Scott Yeager with the NCBA going to join us here next as you're listening to AOA. Jesse Allen in for Mike Adams. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. 
Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover keytar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too, through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. Heading to the Farm Progress Show in Decatur, Illinois this year? Be sure to stop by the Syngenta booth to talk with local agronomists and product experts. Then visit the Syngenta Square to relax and enjoy a cold beverage. During the show, Mike Adams of Adams on Agriculture will be broadcasting live all three days from Syngenta booth 441. Stop by to watch the show live at 9 a.m. That's booth 441 at 9 a.m. We look forward to seeing you in Decatur at the Farm Progress Show. Choose the proven performance of the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, featuring high-yielding Extend Flex soybeans and the exceptional weed control of Extend to Max herbicide with vapor grip technology. Elite genetics, triple herbicide tolerance, flexibility that delivers results, backed by 25 years of innovation. That's the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, the system of choice. Extend to Max is a restricted-use pesticide. Always follow stewardship practices, all pesticide label directions, and check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. Channel Seedsmen don't just sell soybean seed. You can trust them to understand your fields and place Channel Soybean products to perform. With the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, including triple-stacked Channel Extend Flex soybeans, you can be confident you're getting the excellent weed control you want and high-yield potential you need to make the most of the season. Find a Seedsman in your area for recommendations for your fields. Check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. Always read and follow grain marketing and all their stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Each and every day, DTN and Progressive Farmer editors are posting unique, original content to their website at DTNPF.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crops, cattle, equipment technology, and more. You'll find innovative topics like, would you plant soybeans in December? Experiments look at the possibility of boosting yields with early planting. Want to save time? Learn how through autonomous machinery systems. Will there be a surge in feed prices in 2021? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? The editors of DTN and Progressive Farmer are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit DTNPF.com today. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, where we take a close look at the benefits of cooperative ownership. Every week, we'll host a new guest and discuss how you can get the most from working with your local cooperative. And we'll learn why farmers and ranchers just like you choose cooperatives to help them persevere and prosper. So be sure to tune in each Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more.
You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. And Jesse Allen in for Mike Adams here on AOA as we continue with the show today. And pleased to have joining us Scott Yeager with the NCBA. Scott, thanks for joining us here on AOA today. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Well, Scott, I appreciate you joining us. And uh, let's talk WOTUS. That's a big thing, a big topic of discussion right now. And I know it's concerning a a lot of farmers and ranchers across the country. What is the latest that you're hearing uh, in regards uh, to WOTUS here as it stands right now? So as it stands today, uh, the Biden administration has announced that they will repeal and replace the Trump rule, which was called the Navigable Waters Protection Rule, or NWPR. So <clears throat> that means they're going to they're going to kill the Trump rule and replace it with the Biden Lotus definition. Um, so part of that effort is an outreach strategy to uh, farmers and ranchers, to home builders, to the mining groups, to uh, solicit input. As they as they work towards repealing and replacing the Trump rule, um, so actually this week, in fact, there's been a number of these listening sessions where EPA has opened up a call and allowed people, whoever wants to call in, to participate and provide input uh, on on the matter. Uh, so NCBA has been very active in that process. I have provided comments to the agencies at the listening sessions. We've had a state affiliates participate. And uh, we're making sure to get our voices heard in this process. Well, now, Scott, you mentioned those listening sessions and getting our voices heard. And you know, what are some of the differences between this uh, this Biden rule and, and the Trump rule that was out there that you see as, as major issues that you're hearing from farmers and ranchers that they're worried about here uh, as we look forward? We have not seen the Biden rule yet, and the reason we have not seen the Biden rule yet is because they haven't written it. Um, so this is going to be a long process. It's going to be years. I mean, it could be a year and a half, two years before we even see what Biden is thinking as far as a definition of Lotus. Uh, so right now we're on the, we're at the very start of that process, um, and the, the, the months ahead are going to be more engagement uh, between us and the agencies. Uh, to make sure, try to, to try to get them in in a place where they can develop a replacement that is not going to be harmful to uh, cattle producers specifically, but agriculture at large. Uh, that's our desire. That's our goal as we're advocating on behalf of our NCP members at these listening sessions and through developing comments that we're filing uh, with the agencies. Um, that is our goal. Um, so, so to answer your question again, yeah, we haven't seen it yet because they haven't written it yet, uh, but I suspect what we're going to if they're thinking about this, which they are, and they have a lot of smart people over there, I think they're going to try to craft a rule that threads the needle uh, between the Trump rule and the Obama Lotus rule from 2015, meaning it'll probably be more expansive than the Trump rule, but not as expansive as the Obama rule. And I think they're going to do that because they know that ultimately this would need to survive, this rule, whatever rule they craft, needs to survive a Supreme Court challenge. And right now, the Supreme Court is a lot different than it was uh, four years ago, right? We've got uh, Kavanaugh, Gorsuch, and Tony Barrett on the bench, and they're three strong conservative voices uh, that weren't there before. Uh, and, and the composition now, the full court is, is a six to three conservative uh, majority. So they know that they're going to, if they want to craft a durable rule, they need to do one that is going to be able to survive that Supreme Court. Well, Scott, you know, you mentioned threading the needle between the Obama-era WOTUS rule and the Trump-era WOTUS rule. Are there certain uh, pieces of either of those rules that uh, the NCBA is going to maybe be advocating for to see in this in this new Biden rule? What are your thoughts on that? Yep, so uh, we had a meeting with our environment, NCBA's environmental working group in Nashville a couple weeks ago and sat down around the table and said, hey, how do we feel about where we've been on our advocacy on the 2015 rule? How we were on the advocacy on the 2020 rule under, under the Trump administration? And do we feel comfortable moving forward with that 
uh, as our as our charging orders. And, and everyone on the table thought about it. So yeah, we're we're satisfied where uh, where we've been going. Um, and so what that means for us is we're going to be continuing down that same path that we've always been, which is a rule that is not overreaching, a rule that properly uh, regulates waters that are truly federally jurisdictional. We're talking about big water features like uh, big lakes, big rivers, uh, tributaries that, that should properly be, be protected by the federal government. And then everything else, uh, and by everything else I mean intermittent features, ephemerals, those are the features that flow water intermittently or only flow water in response to a rain or snow melt event, those are not prop, those are not to be regulated by the federal government. That's, that's, that would be federal overreach. Um, so those are the kind of the broad strokes, but also in, in addition to the rule itself, what's really important for agriculture is that there are strong agricultural exclusions contained in the rule. And um, that is something that the Trump rule did very well. It's something that the Obama rule tried to do but failed to do appropriately. Um, so the question now in front of the Biden House, as we're watching what the Biden administration does here is, are they going to be able to uh, uh, strike a balance here in a way that, that uh, keeps uh, cattle producers in a good place, doesn't overregulate, allows us to do business without having to get permission from the EPA and the Army Corps of Engineers every time you clean out a, a stock pond or, or dig a, a ditch um, or are moving cattle around. So those are the questions that we're asking. Those are the issues we're going to be watching as this develops. Well, Scott, of course, a lot of things we're going to be watching very closely with this rule, and I know we'll be uh, continuing to talk with folks like you in uh, D.C. And, and learning more about what is going on on the front lines of the rule. And I appreciate you joining us today here on AOA and talking to us about the latest on WOTUS. Thanks so much, and hopefully we'll talk again soon, Scott. All right. Thank you very much, Jesse. Have a good one. Scott Yeager with the NCBA joining us here today on AOA. That's going to do it for the show here today. Appreciate uh, Mike Adams asking me to fill in once again, and thank you for making us part of your day. Mike will be back with us tomorrow. I'm Jesse Allen. You've been listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Choose the proven performance of the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, featuring high-yielding Extend Flex soybeans and the exceptional weed control of Extend to Max herbicide with Vapor Grip technology. Elite genetics, triple herbicide tolerance, flexibility that delivers results, backed by 25 years of innovation. That's the Roundup Ready Extend crop system. The system of choice. Extend to Max is a restricted use pesticide. Always follow stewardship practices, all pesticide label directions, and check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. Channel Seedsmen don't just sell soybean seed. You can trust them to understand your fields and place Channel Soybean products to perform. With the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, including triple stacked Channel Extend Flex soybeans, you can be confident you're getting the excellent weed control you want and high yield potential you need to make the most of the season. Find a Seedsman in your area for recommendations for your fields. Check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. Always read and follow grain marketing and all their stewardship practices and pesticide label directions.